I mean, what if you're just never going to be relevant? Yeah, and what is relevant? What is relevant? Like, yeah. is relevancy that, you know, they know you at McDonald's? Like, I went to McDonald's no, in Northern Texas difficult. this weekend. They never they never watch my YouTube shows. I know what you're meaning, but, like, I think about it in some ways, like, with legacy or relevancy. What if it just can never exist? And so then how do we behave in that context? Well, it's true. And, like, it's probably not going to exist. Like, does anybody even really think about Napoleon Bonaparte on a day-to-day basis? Like, I'm probably never going to be anywhere near that level. Or, you could you know. be. I mean, I don't know. If, I wonder if when Napoleon was doing Napoleon stuff, he was trying to be Napoleon or if he was just being Napoleon. Maybe he was. You know, and honestly, what is his legacy? He's got like an ice cream sandwich named after him. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> and like six statues. Yeah. And then everyone calls him short, right? Like if you have Napoleon <laughs> complex, like that's his legacy. Like what if you do all this amazingness for your, that you decide and they still give you a, a shitty sandwich? That's highly likely. I think that's highly likely. Yeah, I don't know. One, I don't know shit. I don't think any of us really know. But I think it's like, how do we figure out how to just live the way that we really want? Are you there yet? Have you figured it out? You want to give me the playbook? Well, you want to hear something fucked up? Well, it's not even fucked up. I think what's fucked up is that we don't want to face our own truths. Yeah, I think that's probably true. That is true. I mean, I don't know if we want to face the hard realities that we know are to be true, but we don't want to admit. Like, I just uh, got off the phone with like a dating coach. Yeah. I think it's stuff maybe I knew or didn't really know, but I was kind of new. So it was uh, interesting to, to have her just call me on the shit and be like, it's like, I was thinking about it in the, in the parallel of business advice where I had a call last night or I know I'm, I'm hanging out with you today and I'm going to give you the advice you may not want to hear. What truth or what hard reality do you think you're not realizing in your own life? It's interesting. You talked about partnerships. Mine is business partnerships. I keep getting into the same business partnerships again and again. And it's like, you know, the universe just keeps kicking me. So I think that's the biggest part, especially in finance. Like the next fund I do, I'm doing it by my damn self, nobody else, because I'm maybe I'm not a good partner, but I can't focus on one thing exclusively. And in finance, that's what they want you to do. And the only reason that it's cool the way it works right now is because I bring in all the money for us and not my own money. Meaning like I go out and do the hustle bullshit sales stuff that you have to do to, to raise a fund, then, you know, this partnership wouldn't work. And so I keep partnering with like older dudes who have been in finance for lots of years and like have a very traditional mentality and it doesn't fit well with me. So I think that's my biggest thing is like, I just need to, the next business, I just need to do it by myself. And, you know, that's on the professional side. And then on the personal side, it's probably like, I'm similar to you. I'm not great at relationships and I have to spend anywhere near the amount of time I spend thinking about business nonsense on relationships and that would probably do well by me the phrase that the lady said i thought was really interesting she's like you got to disrupt the pattern to change the story i think with business and relationship in life we all heard the same shit forever we all know the same stuff more or less whether we do something about it is the fucking hard part it's like you might need to disrupt the pattern change the story and then you're going to get a new experience i know i've heard that somewhere <laughs> so it sounds like for you with your investing, maybe yeah. I did not work with you know old white men anymore. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Which is so funny. Is it that they're? I don't even know if it's that they're men or white. I hate that narrative today. Um, is it? But, is, are uh, most people who've given you money as your investors old white dudes? In private equity, I'd hazard a guess to say like 95 percent of investors are older white guys. But the investors are awesome. I'm the best investors. It's just that partnerships in finance. Like they think it's ridiculous. They're like, Cody, why don't you go out here and like on Instagram that's so silly and like a newsletter such nonsense? Because, you know, they think in like things that are gonna make them X, X millions and to have like the sophistication. 
And I'm like, fuck, I don't know. I think it's fun and I like it. So I want to keep doing it. Or I'm like egomaniacal and I, it like strokes my ego some way. I don't know. And so that's where the, the hiccup gets. Whereas like, to be fair, yeah, the, the chicks who are in, who I'm in business with or the younger people, they totally get it. I think it's a generational thing. It's a generational and it's like finance and we're hyper-regulated. So people aren't used to this or something. I do think it's funny with that. For there was a period of time with this business, I thought I could run it all myself. And I was like, I don't need my yeah. business partner, Chad. He's a bum. He doesn't do anything here. And then I tried to run it yeah. for like a few months by myself. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this sucks. I'm not, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I was on my knees. Like, you know, I had the knee pads on. I was like, I'm sorry, Chad. I wonder if we all think we're better than we are at times. And sometimes I think we, we think we're worse than we are at times. Do you think it's partner selection or are you just more, you do want to have just more um, decision-making in your fund? That's a good question. I mean, we're equal, but there's a lot of partners in this one. There's five of us. So that just automatically makes things hard. To your point, there's no way I could run a fund exclusively myself with like no other senior partners because I just have like two sides of the investing coin. I need somebody who's really good at like due diligence and quantitative modeling and stuff. That's not my forte. I mean, I can do a model from my banking days, but like these kids these days, maybe you're like this because you're software too, but even how they navigate the financial screens are out of control. Like I'm infinitely slower. So there's no way I could run it totally by myself. Or maybe it's also that I just need to learn to like be a little bit more, hey, I don't fucking like this and this is what it is. And like, you know, grow a pair a bit in my partnerships where it's like I talk a big game and then I get in the conversation. And I'm like, well, <laughs> perhaps what we could do is, you know. I mean, I think a lot of partner selections like dating and all this selection is that it takes a lot of trials to find something that, that's what she was saying. She's like, dating, the point of dating is to date. Like you go and if it's a good person, keep dating. If it's not, I do think sometimes in you know, both these aspects were like, meet someone, I'm like, all right, we'll just see how this goes. Let's commit. Like she was talking about like falling into things. We fall oh, into yeah. stuff. And I was like, ah, that's, a, that's an interesting phrase. Yeah. Because I think it's harder to fall into business as far as like, if you start the business, if, well, actually that's not true. No, I, I, I have fall into like, like a three job businesses. or you fall into a hire or you fall into like an investment. You're like, ah, I don't know. Like I'll try it. And you kind of like half commit, definitely fall into stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. I didn't even know there was a such thing as a dating coach. So I probably need that. I mean, we have like a, I have like a, I guess she's a relationship coach, which I thought I was like, is this like a 21st century way to say you're a therapist? Like you could just say it, but she's awesome because she talks about strength-based relationships and like all this stuff that I wish I had learned when I was 20 about just how to see the good in somebody as opposed to focus on like the one thing that they're not doing that you want them to do, you know? I am curious, like you're, and I do want to talk email marketing, but obviously the basis of all marketing is relationships and self, whatever. What's the dynamic of relationship between you and your fiance? Like, are you the alpha and he's kind of more of the beta? No, we're both alpha, but we're alphas in different things. For instance, like oddly enough, he's an incredible cook. And so when we're in the kitchen, he's like a dictator. I'm just like, holy, again, I'm a terrible cook. So I'm in there and I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I'm burning all the stuff. And then I don't like that. I don't like to get told what to do. So I'm kind of like, fuck you. I'll slice the banana. How I want to slice the banana. And then he's like, but it's better if you do it this way and it's not working for you. And I'm like, oh, that's rational. Okay. So, you know, that's the one part is like, we have some balance. And then the part that's good about him is I could work all day because I find this stuff really interesting, but he's really good about being like, no, hey, get out of there. We're going to go surf or we're going to go do this. So he's alpha in like experiences and I'm maybe a little bit more alpha and like, let's do some business stuff. But don't get me wrong. There's like plenty of conflict because it'd be easier kind of 
I don't know if you know Shama Hyder or Patrick Barnhill. Anyway, Patrick's an e-com guy, but I don't think he's very like public. All they do is work nonstop and it works great for them. But, you know, for me, I guess it's good that I have somebody that pushes me to get the fuck out a little bit. I guess you hear in, in relationship books and things like that, you need like someone's the dominant, someone's the not submissive, but like there's an alpha yeah. and a beta. And it's like, well, I guess there could be alpha and betas just in situation dependent. So it's like in the kitchen, in the bedroom is different, outside, like financially, maybe both could be alphas. I think that's by and large true. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's very many humans that are like unilateral. I mean, even you, like sometimes don't you make so many decisions in life that you want somebody to like pick the dinner place that you go God, to? Yes. I love it. I was right? thinking lately that I'm, I'm like a submissive. Yeah. I was like, sometimes totally. I just need a dom, you know, I guess that's an actual <laughs> joke that phrase that people use. But yeah, there's yeah, uh, a lot of decisions and it's nice to have. Maybe not all the time. Yeah. For those decisions. We have like 30 ish, 40 ish minutes and let's get you rich on email marketing. Obviously, that's what we're here to talk about. Here's one thing before we go into it, Cody. Yeah, I have a feeling I'm going to talk to you and you're gonna be like, I'm already going to do everything you're going to say. I'm going to be like, here's what I would do. And you're like, well, I'm already doing that. So it's not really helpful to you. No, dude. I guess my question here is that like real briefly for the audience and the people watching when this comes out, like, where are you at now? Where do you want to be? What is your plan to do that? I think a lot of times like people already have their plans. From there, we can kind of dissect and I can make recommendations if there's stuff that's actually helpful or not. Where I'm at right now is we talked about falling into things. This was a little bit that I started a newsletter just because I like writing this year. We're at about 100 subs, like 97,000 subs or something like that. The URL for it is? Contrarianthinking.substack.com. How did you get 100,000 subs real fast? Like what's the high level to get 100,000? I mean, a lot of it was luck. But, you know, the way that I started out with it was pretty growth hacky. So I like leveraged a lot of other people's audiences. So I used trends. I used the hustle. I would like write out sort of long form, useful posts that were super tactical, actionable, and immediately made people money with examples of how I did them. And a couple of those went viral. Like there were, I mean, quote unquote viral. There was one that talked about buying campsites around national parks and it got picked up by like, like something like Entrepreneur and not Wall Street Journal, but something similar to that. And so I got a ton of followers from that. And then I have a pretty good network of, of humans just from cultivating them over the years and being an investor. So I pinged maybe 1,500 of my good contacts, lots of people who are CEOs or had exits or whatever. And then they shared and got me on a bunch of podcasts. And so then I leveraged their network. And then uh, I just kind of kept like copying and repeating on that. So how many different ways can I leverage other people's networks to grow mine? And how can I do it in a way that's as lazy as possible? Because I have an assistant that helps me do stuff on this, but that's it. It is not a business. It takes up too much of my time right now. I need to skinny that down slightly. That's how I did it. And then and I kind of wrote out a post basically detailing like every single thing that I did. And then I used the fact that I have a decent amount of Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter followers. And so I just put on buffer, you know, posts about contrarian thinking all the time and ping a bunch of people that I wanted to be on their podcasts and, you know, YouTubes or whatever in order to to get subs that way. All right. So you have 100,000 subscribers. And when you send an email, how many people open it? I have a 25% open rate. Okay. And I think I have an 18 or 19% click through rate. And that's on average, like some of them will be 35, you know, 37% open rates. Sometimes it'll be 20% open rates. As it's gotten bigger, the open rate goes down, which I hear is normal. All right. So you have this newsletter, you kind of did it on the side, you have a pretty sizable audience you built. 
And then you hit me up to be saying, you'd like to make a half a million dollar a year business. Yep. Why not a million? Just a million sounds cooler. It does sound cooler. And what is your game plan to be a hundred thousandaire? Well, what I really want this to do is I want to be able to hire good people that are going to cost me enough money for them to run this whole thing. So I'd like it to be a million or a multi-million dollar business. But I really want to just make sure that it makes enough where we can hire cool people who will actually be able to run this so that I don't have to do a lot of it. The growth hacky stuff takes forever. It works and it's free and it doesn't cost ad spend, but it takes a lot of time. So I want to hire somebody to do that. But my plan is like, I wrote out a business model. I'll send it to you in case you want to see it. That basically just showed with a bunch of assumptions from Substack and some like public data points how much I could make if I made this a premium newsletter, like what would be the additives on top of it. There's like six revenue lines on top of there. Yeah. So basically it says with $100,000, with 100,000 subscribers right now, it could make $329,000 a year is what this little model says. I do those models too, where like if I had 1% of the market, I'd be a trillionaire. <laughs> yeah, exactly I think those right. are always lies because it's like, well, just change that number, make it a billion. Why not? On the newsletter, how much are you making today? There's no way to make money on the newsletter right now. It's free. I have two businesses that have e-products they sell. One is unconventional acquisitions. That business will do a million dollars, not this year, but inside 12 months. It does about $30,000 a month in um, course and mastermind sales. And that's pretty much driven all off of contrarian thinking. But I have an operator that runs that business, which is awesome. His name's Ryan. And then I get a ton of investors from contrarian thinking. You know, I should actually do the numbers on this, but several million dollars raised from contrarian thinking just because people get to hear you a lot from it. So those are two ways we monetize right now. And then I have like a, a couple little tiny info products, but all the money from those goes to charity and they probably don't make more than two or three thousand dollars a month. So I guess what I'm curious about though, so it seems like you're doing seven figures with the course, you get investor money for whatever you're buying, which we can you know, maybe talk about later. Why do you want to have to monetize the newsletter instead of just taking the money from these other things and investing that into the newsletter? It's a good question. So I guess I could, but I take no money out of unconventional acquisitions. Why not? Where does it go? Back into the business and growing it. Aren't you growing it through the email list? Well, actually, now we're doing ad spend. So we're doing ad spend on it. And then I hired Ryan, who's the operator who runs the business now. And just like building out, you know, website, backend systems. I want to acquire a few companies to create this. I don't know if we're going to be able to do this, but I want to create an ecosystem play. I mean, you have it. For unconventional acquisitions, it's basically, it teaches people how to buy and and sell businesses. It's like micro PE since I'm in private equity. So I just teach people how to do that. But there's all these services that they need, right? They need like attorneys and accountants and whatever. So I'd like to buy those businesses and take all the money from unconventional acquisitions and buy those. So it sounds like you have the newsletter, you have the course, and then you also get investors. And mostly a lot of this is coming in from the newsletter. And now you're doing ads to the course as well. So what yeah. can we do that's helpful with you today on the newsletter? I want to treat the newsletter like it's its own little ecosystem, like nothing else happens. Since I take no money out of those other businesses, let's pretend that they don't exist. And that in and of itself, this little newsletter should be its own profitable business unit. And what happens to me where I screw up a lot is I hire people and then I give them too many roles. What I'd like to do is take this little newsletter and make it its own business. And maybe your point, maybe it should stay free and I should just create contrarian thinking products on it. But my main thought is, how do I keep growing it and have some monetization on it so I can hire somebody to do that? And does premium even make sense? Like, is that like a crappy business model because there's going to be all these paid newsletters? It's going to be overwhelming. How are you spending your time on this the site each week? And then where do you want to be spending your time? 
So I like writing it. That's my favorite part. That's why I started it. So I love writing it and researching it. And that probably takes me, you know, five to six hours on the weekend is when I write those bad boys. But the other time that I still take up is doing the growth hacking. So like, I don't mind being on people's podcasts, but I'd like somebody to help me filter which ones do we go on and how do we get on the ones who have really moved the dial. And I also spend a decent amount of time like sharing it. So I do all my own social media right now. I post, you know, a bunch of different places. I like take content, repurpose it myself, put it in a lot of locations. That probably takes way more time than I even want to admit on a weekly basis. Have you ever asked someone how much they drank the night before or how many nacho chips they ate? They're like, oh, I had like a th- four, four, oh. Two. <laughs> I think it's the same thing with a lot of our work. It's like how much of your work was really like high quality work? It's much less. And it's a lot of this time that's not actually uh, making a difference. I'm trying to just figure out the business, the model. So the model is you want to have this as an independent business. And then you also have unconventional thing that's a separate one. And then you have the PE as a separate one. But you want to make yep. make this standalone, the newsletter. Itself. Right. And so right now it's doing zero. And you don't want to use any of that other money to hire. You want it to create it itself. I mean, I could use the other money to hire for sure. I have a couple of people testing some little projects. Like if I'm going to hire, typically I wouldn't just hire the person full time. I would have them try something out. So I have somebody, I just sent out the email this morning prior to this, for them to do like figure out a giveaway, like a consistent way that we can do giveaways to grow and then like handle everything, content creation, ideation for the giveaway, come up with all the social media stuff. So, I mean, I'm paying for that on my own pocket, but if I could hire somebody that was like my little right hand contrarian man, that would be or woman, the or deal. Woman. Yeah. Contrarian. <laughs> yeah. Woman. Super sexist. That's not good. Well, you also said bad boys. I'm like, why not a bad girl? I feel like I find that <laughs> sexist too. Let's just go with the model you want. So I, I'm trying to parallel to what we're doing at, at our company. So I have OK Dork, Noah Kagan brand stuff. And then we have AppSumo. And then we have the AppSumo original. So all of the products uh, that we've created ourselves. AppSumo right now funds Dork World. AppSumo mm-hmm. is my investor. I think there's something to be considered there. What we're doing in 2021, which sounds like what you're the way you're approaching it or considering it is, I'm trying to create the Dork stuff as a standalone business so it's not dependent. So I guess the question is, what does that team need to look like so that you don't have to touch it? I guess there's two ways I was thinking about. Number one was like, what's the minimum budget you need to be making to actually have this be self-sufficient? Yeah. Because from there, you can work backwards to be like, all right, well, what does that team and cost look like? And then that helps you have a goal for the revenue you need to be targeting. So we have Jeremy, who's our producer. Mitchell is our director of operations. We have video editors. We're focused just on YouTube. Video editors, we have a thumbnail person, and then we have a junior marketing associate. So I, I think our yearly cost at this point is about, for 2020, run rate cost is $500,000. So we're spending half a million dollars. So my goal in 2021 is to grow the channel of YouTube. That's our main goal, uh, to double the amount of subscribers that we're reaching, and then break even as an independent business unit. The question then, now that I know I have to make $500,000, I can start mapping out. Like if I need to make 500K just to stand alone, do I have a course, right? So we have monthly1k.com. Can we do a private community? I don't know if I want to do paid content because I kind of want all my content to bring in new people, but I have seen a lot of success through a private community. Can we create some of our software? Can we give away some of our templates? Can we actually do paid sponsorships? So most of these models are pretty, you know, there's a lot, a lot of people to copy. Mm-hmm. So in YouTube world, a lot of paid sponsorships. So you go to like, you know, HostGator or whoever that you like, and you make a video and you include them and they pay you 20 Gs. That's in the YouTube world. I think in the in the newsletter world, it's, you know, courses, software, affiliate. I think the private community I've seen become very, very successful. The Hustle, they have like a million dollar community. The Hustle trends yeah. like newsletters, whatever. 
Like, no offense to that. It's not even about offense. It's just whatever. It's like, it's business porn. But the community, I've heard a lot of really success that people have connected and, and benefited from that. So I guess the question is, what's the actual target you need? And then what are just the options you can try out? I think the subscription to paid content is really interesting. Yeah, it's huge, right? New York Times, Wall Street Journal, they have a lot of success with it. I haven't tr- tested it, so I don't know how to churn all that stuff looks. But I, I guess I would just pick a few lanes. You know, what's your target, number one? And then what are the lanes you could try out and figure out which is the lane to really double down on? Yeah, that makes sense. Let me ask you a question. You have the the producer and then you have the director, the video editors, the thumbnails. Who was your first hire? So I think there's two questions there. There's who did I hire first or who would I hire now if I had to start over? So I guess the question for you, though, is like, where are you spending your time that's the lowest value activity that would free you up the most? Growth hacking. Like, is that straight up? Like, that would save you the most time and help grow the business? Yes. So that's who you should hire. Yeah. How do you hire a growth hacker? What I've observed in finding those people is I just look for, I look for the people I'm, I'm admiring, try to hire them, or I look for someone that's already in my community that's active. So let me give you two examples. There's a guy, Harry Dry, who's like this young hustler. He's like, he runs marketing examples. I love his stuff. So like maybe eight months ago, I tried to hire him and we, it didn't work out at the time. I'm looking for the people that I'm impressed with all the time. And then the second part I noticed is that, you know, we have our own private Slack group and community for all of our content on Facebook and then in the Slack group. And basically you just notice who's vocal and who you're impressed with. So there's this guy, RJ, who is amazing. And he's, I love his attitude. He's really thorough, really impressive. And then yesterday I asked the guys at the team, I was like, why don't we get him to come join us? We need, we were hiring a a full-time researcher. I was like, this guy's amazing. He's got a great attitude. Let's get him. And so I think those are kind of the best ways that I've looked for. It's like, look for people you're already impressed with. And then try to find someone within your you know, community or network. I bet if you even like posted about it, you could find someone through your email list. Yeah, that's a good idea. I did. I have like two people I'm talking to about it right now. One of which she wrote me this incredible email response. She like took my newsletter and then she flipped it like she was writing the newsletter, but about why I should hire her. So I think I want to hire her as a copywriter. It was amazing. This is just a gut feeling about you. If Jeff Bezos was running your newsletter, how would he run it differently? Or I'm trying to think of a successful, like Sarah Blakely or Oprah, someone who's like, you mm-hmm. know, scaled the business very successfully. How would they be running your newsletter differently? Because I still, I have this gut feeling that you're, you're playing it safe and you're playing it small ball, yeah. playing minor league ball. Yeah. I don't think you're doing like big woman swings. I don't think you're like in the WNBA, like slam dunking this shit. If Jeff Bezos ran your newsletter, like how would he be approaching us? Yeah. I mean, I think when I think about a business, I think about these big businesses that we've built with like private equity or VC and a fund. And I have a hard time struggling with thinking about a newsletter as a real business, which is so dumb. I subscribe to a ton of them. They can be huge businesses. So I just got to change my mental frame there. And I think you're right. Why wouldn't I just hire the same way I would hire anywhere else? If I want to hire a top tier investor, I go and look at the returns of other portfolios that they've run. Exactly. Why not do the exact same thing with a growth hacker? They hadn't even thought that way. And to be fair, like you're talking about, why not just put some capital behind this and say, I think this needs a couple hundred K to actually grow and commit to doing that as opposed to saying and fund it yourself business and you need to make the money in order to grow yourself. It's interesting. I don't know why I've never thought about that before. I think there's a lot of stuff that's, I don't know, someone reminds me of something. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. The two observations I had with our, my experience this year, like investing in myself is it is scary to say like, wow, I'm going to be in front. Because I've always, you know, the business has been in front and this is me building, you know, my name and helping build the company as well. Two experiences that, that happened. One, Mr. Beast, who's like one of the largest YouTubers today, I'm friends with his business manager. And he said something really fascinating. He's like, most people want to buy the Lambo, 
But Mr. Beast gives away the Lambo so that he can get more Lambos later. And I just thought that was like a really interesting kind of mental frame of thinking about if you can, he's investing. He's like, I want to invest in building my channel. I want to invest in building my audience so that as the years go on, now I have 100 million people that I can be promoting whatever I want to versus like, okay, I can promote at a million level. I will say on the other side of it, I didn't just rush into hiring everyone. I didn't go and just be like, I'm going to hire Mitchell. He was the first hire. It was a slower burn. I think you have to go on dates, as we talked about in the beginning. And so with Jeremy, he did do trials. And then he came on the week we signed his agreement. And the week before he joined, I had a lot of, um, I definitely was nervous. I was like, oh my fucking God, this guy quit his job. Now I have to spend all this money every month. Now it's a no brainer. So I would recommend for most people, if they didn't have a company to, to cover the cost, like I would validate that you can make money out of it either through a community, newsletter, products, courses, affiliates, whatever those are, that's out there. But it has been a game changer in professionalizing it. You're saying newsletter. You have a media business. You have a lot of personality and you have a lot of uh, ambition, which I think appeals to women. You have to think of your what you're doing in a more larger context. I think the other part is it feels weird to create a business around me. Did you have to get over the ego of that ever of like, okay, my face is on here. I know that people want to connect with people. So that's why I put my face on there. Yeah. And I know that that part's important, but it does feel weird. Like you, that hit me right when you were like, this guy's leaving and I'm responsible for him having left his job. I mean, he's perfectly competent. He could go get another one, but I do worry about that sometimes. Yeah. I think that's something that everyone struggles with. And then you have to kind of come to your own answers. I guess for you, like what's holding you back from that? I think for me... Mm-hmm. One part that I like is that it's like, here's the standard that I expect. So now because my face is on it, like if we're doing the descriptions or if I don't like the title or if there's something, it's like, this is me. Like, so I'm going to care a lot about how that's going to be represented. I think in terms of putting myself out there, I shifted from putting myself out there to more, how am I literally just like kind of connecting and helping individuals? So it's not such a massive thing. It's just like, I literally am trying to just like connect and help individual people with their business journey. So I don't really care as much about being out there or not out there. My fear always was I was fencing it. So I'd be like, I run AppSumo and I respect people who create real businesses. I think media content creators aren't real entrepreneurs. I don't think they are. Yeah. And it was just me kind of fighting who I myself for a very long time. And it was like, why don't you just accept it and see how that goes? And I accepted it. I was like, yeah, media content people can be business owners and can be creators and, and successful entrepreneurs. I was like, huh, I don't know why I self-limited that for such a long time. That's so interesting. I'm going to have to pay you for this therapy session. No, no. Business strategist and therapist. It's an interesting journey. I mean, I always, I did what you did. I think what you're, I think you've done an amazing job already, but I think I was like playing it safe and I was like kind of fencing. I was like, oh, I'll put out a blog post and I'll kind of do YouTube, but I don't really. So I think it was like, well, what can I do that I feel is really making a difference? And I enjoy it. Like I love making our videos now. If these guys quit, I would be like very disappointed. Such a good point. All right. I think that's the go all in motto. You're totally right. I don't know why I look at this as any other way, but a business. Okay. So the other thing I'm curious about is you talked about your business is going to flip to monetization next year, but you've really only talked about that from a YouTube perspective. Yeah. Do you think about that with OK Dork the blog too, or are they just the same thing now? In the beginning of the year, to give you context, we were trying to grow our audience, total addressable audience. So it was like, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email list, blog. And what we realized is that we can't grow all of these really well. Like we can probably grow one exceptionally well, two not so well. So then we just said, let's just do YouTube. That's where we're going to grow the largest amount of new audiences. And so that's where all of our focus is. 
I think a lot of people now are like, hey, I repurposed my content to put it on all these places. And it's like, well, is that actually doing anything? Most likely not. I would bet that most of your email subs came probably from like either just getting repurposed your content on these other sites. Like that would be one of my guesses. But I think your tweets, I would bet against that. Twitter's fun. I love Twitter, but I don't think it's going to drive subs, subscribers. Yep. In terms of like, how do we manage blog and email and all this other stuff? I think the only two things that really matter to me at this point are YouTube and my email list. And the reason that is, is because my email list is how I communicate with the audience. But I find YouTube more than Google specifically, Google search as the best way to grow that audience. Like that has been the only channel for me where I, I feel like I can directly control that I can reach more people for free. So I do think as you grow a business, though, there are new marketing channels. So it's like once you've gotten YouTube dialed in, then it's like, all right, can I expand Google search? And if I got Google search in, can I add an affiliate channel? I would try to reduce the amount of new channels, especially while you're small. I think this is like one of the most common, a very common entrepreneur mistake. They're like, I have an affiliate program and I have this. I'm like, well, which one's working? The guest posting. So why don't you do all of your time on guest posting? It's such a good point. So it's interesting because we're definitely doing all of these things. Yeah, we did. That's what we did for like months and it was fine and it was good. But then when we focused on YouTube, like now our numbers are starting to dramatically change. Externally, I don't think it's really there, but internally I'm like, something is happening with how we're doing our stuff. Oh, 100%. I mean, I even see it because I remember you were like kind of rocking and rolling a little bit on Instagram there and you were growing that a lot, but watching how you've continued to do Instagram, but really focused on YouTube. I mean, the exponential growth, I'm sure the hockey stick curve is there. It's funny. I wasn't even expecting to do like, what have I learned on YouTube this year? But you do become an expert. And I think having multiple channels and multiple things, it's much harder for us to become as proficient. Because we did Instagram for a while. And I was like, is this actually driving the needle of audience of like quality people into the email list and people we can reach out? And it didn't feel that. I Google search. I don't want to do the SEO thing. I don't want to be writing as much. TikTok, I don't find like audience there is quality right now. So I think YouTube is like, honestly, I think YouTube is like the biggest, best platform for anyone to, to grow a significant business. So in doing it, like we see the, the results. It's like, oh, here's how we can improve our thumbnails. Yeah. I like the processized nature of it. I think that makes a lot of sense. Actually, this is great because you're, I have on my list today to create a better not to do list. Oh, and- I like that. That's a, <laughs> no, that's amazing. Because I think that's a, such a common problem. People do a lot of things and they just don't kill things. And then they add new ones. That's exactly right. I found the same exact thing. I have this Slack group for, uh, like, I call them my underdogs, like my the VIP audience. And this one guy is like, I do this, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. I'm like, well, what's your goal? Like, do you have a revenue goal? Do you have an audience goal? And if you had clarity on that, then you could see that almost none of the shit you're doing matters. Yeah. And it's all about attribution, too. You know, I need to move away from Substack. That'll be the next thing. We use Sendbox, which I love, okay. on uh, one of the other newsletters. <laughs> and uh, so maybe that's the move, but to get better attribution about where stuff's coming from. So maybe that's the second aspect is it's the growth hacker and then also pairing that with a better scorecard for attribution of what's actually driving the business, what's driving growth. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that stuff, sometimes people want better attribution. You can also just like email the past like 10 people who signed up and say, hey, how did you hear about it? And you'll probably get some like uh, clustering that's like, hey, it was here and here. And then it's like, all right, that's what I'm going to keep doing a lot more of. Yeah. So the way we've structured it it is that now we know like the only way we grow our subs is basically videos, email swaps, and collabs. We're just going to do those. And so now each month, it's like, well, how many swaps do we want to do? It's more like a system-based structure. So it's like, how many videos? How many swaps? How many collabs? We have, you know, maybe a giveaway and maybe a uh, paid sponsorship video. What's a swap? Is that like a guest post? So a swap is cross-promo. So like, 
on your email list, you email out saying, hey, go subscribe to Noah's email list. And we would, we should actually yeah. probably do that. And then you would do it to awesome. my email list as well. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. We've actually found yeah, it really helpful do. in growing the audiences. I've done it a few times, but it's been organically. We haven't really tried to do it. To your point, it's always like, I got a ton of them from a guy, Frank, who actually I should introduce you to. He does like all these videos. On, he's not so good on YouTube, but on LinkedIn, he's great. It's like just going to the people who are winning and whatever their platform is. LinkedIn actually has been a huge driver for my email list. How so? Just attribution. Like I can't actually see that we get a ton of people from LinkedIn. I do these like little videos on LinkedIn that are like the worst quality of all time. Like there's nothing fancy about these, but nobody really does video on LinkedIn or at least in my circles. So yeah, so I just put a little link in the the notes and the comments and we end up getting a decent amount of subs from that. I'd say like maybe 10% or so of the subs are from LinkedIn. That's so um, <laughs> well, yeah, that's probably true. It's not that it's not good, but it actually may be 50%, which is awesome. Or you're doing a bunch of shit that doesn't matter. And I think that's the uh, difference yeah. in marketing. It's like, what's the stuff that really matters? And I'd say our company, yeah. that's where we've had a lot of success is I always want to do new shit. And then Eamon and Chad are like, no, let's just keep doing what works. And then we do that. And then we do really well. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You need, a, you need a grounding operator. The no club. Yeah. I've done email marketing for so many years, but I've been so deep in YouTube world. What I have noticed between the ones who get to like the million and elite levels on YouTube, between someone who's at like sub 100,000, they have a team and they think of it as a business. So I was thinking for you, like, what does your dream team look like? Mm. I talked to this guy last night. He's got 100,000 subs. He's got his name's Ken G, cool channel on data science. He literally does it part time while he does has a day job. All of it. It's great. But and I was like, do you want to make this a six, seven figure company? You treat it like a company. So what does a company have? It has like a full-time editor, a full-time probably producer. Probably you're going to have a full-time thumbnail for it. Like that's what the people who are at the top do. And if you want to be at the top, like there are things that they've already can show you what they're doing. Yeah, I love it. What about niching down? So your YouTube, for instance, is now maybe a little bit more case study. I don't know if that's the yeah, way that yeah. you think about it. Like a little bit more Socratic method is the way that you're teaching. So with that... Do you have like a niche that you really say that Noah is in or can you still go wide? Because that's the other part is sometimes I think I go wider than I should and I should narrow down the scope. Who's your niche? Well, the niche that started the whole thing is basically investors, people who want to make money in unconventional ways. A lot of them are investors in the stock market. A lot of them are real estate investors. A lot of them are investors in Bitcoin or cannabis. And they're like, how do we make money? in ways that aren't so standard because some of the stuff we're doing right now isn't working for us. So that's the main avatar. And then, you know, the second avatar is people with the same mindset about we want to grow unconventionally, but we want to kind of growth hack our businesses. And how do we growth hack our businesses? But all with the frame towards profit is pretty much. How many people do you think are in the contrarian market for you? The total addressable market? Yeah, total people available that that would want to be hearing about that. I mean, I think it's huge. I mean, there's so many other people that do this in different ways. So like I talked to Agora Financial early on, yeah. but then I saw their crazy ads. I mean, they must work, but um, I was like, I just, I can't put, to your point, put my face on that. But, you know, they have like, they have multiple newsletters that have a million up to tens of millions. So I think there's a pretty big market for this. I have no idea how it gets the underlying TAM. Don't get off your current market. Yeah. Like what's interesting, I looked at Airbnb's deck and it was kind of wild. It's like, you think Airbnb is huge, but they're like, we only have 5% of the total travel market. It's like, huh. They're very focused on the travel market. So what I would say, though, is that 
most people have a lot more room in their current audiences before they go to their next. What I experience in YouTube is that there's content I want to make that the audience I have and the audience I want to have doesn't care about. So like I put out a video that was like, here's business lessons for mountain biking. No one cared. Here's me looking at Black Friday marketing ads. No one cares. You know, like in every kind of business, a restaurant, e-commerce, or content creation, you have to find that spectrum of what you want to make versus what they want to read. I think what I've, I have to be aware of is that I'm not going to be more productive than Tim Ferriss. I'm not going to be more MacBook than MKBHD. But I can be probably one of the number one business people online because I've done it many times and blah. So I do remind it, it's like, hey, this is the stuff I'm an expert in. And so I try to stay around that. Why am I doing a lot of the case study videos? Because they work. Yeah, We've done a few of them that didn't work. Like we put out one today, it's a total flop, which is like, here's a bunch of people that are doing that are getting rich. What we've identified is that if we just focus it on one person, it actually does better for us. But that's honestly because the team and me are focused on. So we're looking at this stuff all day long to see what's working and what's not. The thing I would say with your content on the same thing for an email is like which topics or which titles work really well that you can do a lot of because most of your titles are all over the fucking place. How much money would I have if I was an idiot, had a stroke, wrote a book, and this made profit? How to make millions by having buds. So I think it's great. The dirt one is interesting. I think it's like, if that worked really well, do more of that. And I don't know if you're, I would wonder how clustered your topics are. The way we're doing our content, we think of everything as a series. Mm -hmm. So if you look at a lot of popular shows like MTV Cribs or anything that's been a historic show, they generally have like a pretty set formula. And But somehow when we're doing content, we're like, I'm just going to be all over the place and hope it works. <laughs> so I, what we have found works with YouTube is like we have our Million Dollar Weekend series, which I don't necessarily like doing those videos, but they always go viral or pretty popular. Not viral. Mm. Then these mm-hmm. case studies of individuals who are super big on YouTube, they just hit. Every time we do them, they hit. And every time we do other stuff, it's like 50-50. And we only live once, so I, w- I want to get a higher return on time. So what we try to do is two videos a week that are core series videos that we're like, we can bet on. And then one video a week, that's an experiment. And you can even argue we should do three a week that are series. And then, you know, one every other week, that's an experiment. That's such a good point. I love the series idea. I also think that needs to be, that's like a little tweetable. It's like, we only live once. So I want a higher return on my time. Yeah. I generally think about it as like, I want a disproportionate return on my time. Cause like there's times where we're doing videos. It takes the same amount of time to do a video. So why not try to find the video that's going to have the largest possible audience? and be, have the highest chance of success. I was reading today something about, you know, you're better off spending five hours trying to find the one creative solution that'll give you the 5x return than doing the micro activity that we think we have to check off our list every day. And I think that's so true. It's like, it's, I mean, that's how trends went viral, right? It's like stuff on soy lent and hot dog carts and, you know, whatever. They spent a bunch of time coming up with one weird idea to sort of catapult on. I think success is boring in the, in the sense you find the thing that works and you just do a lot more of that. So it's not as sexy potentially, but you know, winning is pretty damn sexy in the sense of like, you found this article about doing the hip camp R, which, you know, people have been talking about, but you wrote it and it's great. And it's like, just do more of that or even do this one again. Yeah. It's such a good point. I like this series idea. I'm on it. No, you've given me 472 ideas. And I know. I've kept I you think I do that over time. I do it to compensate. <laughs> well, I appreciate you. What else can I do for you? If anything, how do you want to wrap this up? What else do I owe you? Here's what actually I would I would love. Let's figure out some swap thing. We'll do that. But what I'd really love is that in six months or 12 months, when you actually are like, you tell me, you're like, yo, hey, actually, we had that call. I don't know if you remember it. I'm like, no, I don't remember it. And I did some of that shit. And here's what I did. And this stuff didn't work. But this stuff actually like worked really fucking well. And I'm like, thumbs up. 
That's all I have. Love like it. check back to me in six months or even sooner if some of these things are working or not working. Count on it. I can easily do that. I know. That's super easy. Well, you're the man. This all right. Awesome. You're the woman. Good seeing you. Right back at you.